The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 120 for Friday, September 14th, 2007. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek uh, Why can't I say that anymore? Two and a half years I've been saying this. Uh, Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. It is a special weekend show simply because of a uh, scheduling conflict that we have next week. So, yeah, I'm going to uh, Embedded Systems Conference up in Boston. You you're coming up here? Uh, well, right, this know. year is Boston. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got any nights open for dinner? I can come down and uh, have dinner with you. Uh, hmm. All right, we'll look at your. Schedule. You know, I think so. Well, two nights. I mean, you know, it's a trade show, so two nights I they have. Goes, yeah. Well, they have basically nighttime. Uh, they got a casino night, and they got a uh, just you know roam the shore f- show floor with a drink night. You know, yep. which uh, yep. yeah, they take care of. They help you know help help people socialize and absolutely learn about technology absolutely. and buy more stuff. So yeah, this is a and and this is going to be fun. I, I I think embedded uh you know embedded is a whole very cool area. Oh, it makes cool. all our it makes all our toys work. It in fact it does. That's right. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, pretty much a, a, a standard geek gab. If there's any, if if that actually means anything, <laughs> uh, going through your questions, uh, sharing your tips, solving some problems that have come up along the way, and uh, and just generally trying to impart good knowledge and share good knowledge. So last week we got to talking about Mac OS 10 passwords, and uh, we made some comments about passwords being limited to eight characters, and uh, and also that open firmware password didn't exist on Intel Macs. And we've actually got some corrections. One from uh, from Wally, which we'll talk about first, and one, believe it or not, from our own ver- our very own John F. Braun. Ooh. Yeah, I know I know this guy. Uh, but Wally, I don't know, but uh, glad to have made his acquaintance. Wally, Wally writes, uh, you're right about passwords only being significant to eight characters. However, it's the first eight characters of the hash that the OS makes of whatever it is you enter as a password. Thus, the passwords the brown cow and the brown dog are not equivalent. I tested this to be sure. And and and, and Wally, you're right. Uh, to to kind of boil this down to the essence, and, and I realize that I'm gonna I'm gonna leap over some things here, but essentially when you create a password in the OS, what it does is it encrypts the password and kind of mangles it. Uh, and that's what the, the hash is, is for. And then mm-hmm. it saves this encrypted hashed, i.e. mangled version on the disk. Then when you go to, and this is what any Unix does these days. Uh, then when you go to log in, you type your username, which goes in the clear uh, typically. Uh, and then you type your password and then the system encrypts and mangles whatever you typed in the same way that it encrypted and mangled it the first time and it compares the encrypted and mangled version or the encrypted and hashed version uh, to what it has on the disk. And if the two are the same at the first up to the first eight characters, you're fine. But as Wally pointed out, uh, even if the first eight characters of your password are the same, that doesn't mean that the, 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 or the, even if, even if only the first eight characters of your password are the same and the rest aren't, it doesn't mean that uh, that the first eight characters of the hash are going to remain the same. And and so you can have a longer password and have that potentially be uh, be different from 
from what a, uh, a, a you know password with the same first eight characters in a different extension would be. So, uh, John, do you have anything anything quick to add to that for us here? Um, very quickly, I would say yeah. So, you, so you get eight care. I'm not sure if they're talking about eight bytes or eight nibbles or whatever, but you know, there's a the more the better. But I would say you know, eight characters worth is uh, is enough, and then yeah, very quickly. So even so, the scenario is even if you have two passwords, you know, that are off by one character by nature of what they're doing, which you talked about, which is hashing, encrypting, and we, we won't go into too much detail, but suffice to say that stuff happens. There's no chance that if you like, you know, are one letter off. I mean, the dumb way to do it is to store the raw passwords in a file, which I guess they did in the early days. Yes, um, they did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So by not storing the actual password. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think that about comes it because uh, we could go into quite a bit. Oh, of detail. yeah. Yeah. There, there's uh, I found uh, I'll link to an article that actually talked about a lot of this in the history of how it was done and some of the protocols and all that. Cool. Because uh, it is pretty interesting how, how it's uh, evolved over the years. Uh, all right, on to the open firmware password. I, I stated that the open firmware didn't exist on the Intel machines and that they had EFI, uh, and therefore there was no way to do a firmware password. Well, uh, the latter part of that statement, uh, John found, and, and as actually as did many of you, found not to be true. Uh, and, and John, go ahead and I'll let you go ahead and explain what you found. Yes, yeah, so what you said was technically correct, that the newer Macs have EFI, not open firmware. And I think... The problem here, now actually I'd like to ask you this because you, you said you did this for me, is um, you know, I found one of the support articles and they say, all right, if you want to find the utility that does this, which is open firmware password 1.0.2, um, apparently the version that you download um, is, uh, I guess, only for PowerPC, but there is one that's on your local uh, install disk and application slash utilities. Right. So basically, they say this, go to your disk to pull this utility off. And I believe you looked, Dave, and you saw that there was something. Was it called Open Firmware Password? Uh, firmware Password Utility, I believe, if I'm, I'm pulling oh, this from memory. Okay. Uh, but, but it essentially it results in the same thing. So uh, it, you, you certainly have the capability of doing this with an Intel Mac, and Apple did not uh, deny us that. Personally, I don't do that. I, um, if I have data that, that is overly sensitive, I encrypt it in a different way, and that way... I don't run the risk of somehow forgetting the password that's going to get me into my Mac. So there you go. Right. But I think it's a great additional step for people, especially if you have a portable yeah. and want to, uh, you know, make it very difficult for someone, it, you know, uh, again, I think we said before, if they have your machine and they have physical access, it's pretty much game over, but this could make it difficult for someone who uh, is maybe not that quite determined or you know in a shared environment like in a lab or something like that yeah you know in a school or something i think i do this just to prevent uh, people from wreaking havoc <laughs> yeah in fact we had quite a few quite a few listeners write in and and you a lot of you said uh yeah you know in a in a school lab it actually makes a lot of sense because it 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 is one more layer that gets in the way of of changing anything that uh, that shouldn't be changed so that's uh that's not a bad thing uh Reaching back while we're while we're dealing with follow ups from previous shows, reaching back a little bit, uh, we talked about securing individual applications and kind of came up with some ideas for that. And uh, and we've actually got uh, it got got an audio comment here, so I'll, I'll I'll run this. I think. Hello, John and Dave. I had a a hint for the guy from Scotland who wanted to restrict access to applications uh, to certain users. Well, remember, this is a Unix system we're dealing with here, and you can change the execute permissions 
for users and groups. If you really wanted to go low rent and, and uh, hardcore, you could put applications into groups and put users into groups and, and only have execute permissions for the people in the group. And there you go. Just an idea. Thanks. See ya. Thank you very much. Yeah, and that's a great idea. I, I, I did some, some searching and, and reading about this, and there's an excellent article by Ryan Foz over at peachpit.com that we'll link to. And it talks about using Workgroup Manager, which is a feature of Mac or an application bundled with Mac OS X server, but it's freely downloadable. And, and the article indicates where you can go and get this. Uh, and, and that can help manage these these users and groups and, and, and really kind of kind of help uh, help along those lines. So that is uh, that is that. I, I did want to talk about our first sponsor for this show, which is Smile on My Mac with PDF Pen. PDF Pen is uh, a, an extension that you install into Mac OS X, and well, it's actually an application rather uh, that lets you edit PDF files, and you can print directly to it. So if you've got something, instead of having to print and save it as a PDF and then open it in PDF Pen, there's a, a path to get directly there. PDF Pen lets you do all sorts of things with PDFs. I use it all the time to put signatures into a PDF or if I get a fax that uh, if I get a fax that I need to sign, I'll paste my signature in and then you can remove the cover page and you can move pages around. You can actually insert other pages into the the PDF and reorder things. Uh it fantastic easy to use program from smileonmymac.com. That's PDF Pen. And with that, we'll move on to Wayne, uh who has a question that I think is going to get two different answers. Hey, guys. Uh, first, I'd like to say uh, I have a great show. I love listening to it all the time. Uh, my name's Wayne from Houston, Texas. I'm a recent switcher, uh, completely over. I've gone from a notebook and desktop of Windows to a, a MacBook Pro and a Mac Pro for my uh, photo editing. Nice. Uh, I have a question, though. I'm trying to understand the way that uh, .Mac Sync works. Uh, what its true usefulness is and whether or not I should trouble myself with even using it. Uh, I get conflicting answers depending on which Apple genius I speak to as to whether or not it's any good and which way it thinks, up or down or both ways. And I'm totally confused. Um, you can email me if you want. So you now, we'll talk about it here. It's much more fun. Uh Okay, so I will start by answering the nuts and bolts of this. So the idea behind dot max sync, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but uh, the idea behind dot max sync is that you have data in your uh, address book, keychain, your mail uh, rules and signatures, and your accounts, uh, but not your mail data, bookmarks, and uh, and I believe that covers most of what most people are going to sync. There's some third-party apps that use it as well. But, and uh, calendars. And calendars. Thank you. That's right. I'm not an iCal guy. I never think about that. So that's right. Thank I, you. I know. Uh, and so the idea is it uses uh, Mac OS X sync services to uh, take all this data, bundle it up, and it ships it off to a .Mac server. Uh, and the way that it ships the data off each record, so each event in your calendar or each uh, entry in your address book or each bookmark is tagged individually. And you can then sync that data with, uh, I, I, be I believe, up to five other Macs, but I, it may even be more than that. I sync with three. And, and the idea is that if you make a change to a bookmark on one computer or you add a bookmark or you delete a bookmark, it goes ahead and, and syncs that with the rest of your computers uh, on the schedule that you set. If you tell it to do it automatically, it happens 
pretty much regularly. Otherwise, you can do it every hour or every day or whatever you like. So uh, or ma- or manually even. And and then as as a safety net, if you're changing more than five percent of the data store of any one of those things, it'll actually warn you. And and it deals with with conflicts and all that. So that's what dot max sync does. It is a two way sync or a, a, a multi way sync, if you will. And it goes fairly deep into uh, into everything that it does. John, I know we both use it. John, I'll, I'll let you, you talk first about uh, how you use it and, and your experience with it. Uh, my experience has been pretty good. And actually, I'm looking at the way I have it set up. So I use it among uh, three different computers, um, okay. portable and two desktop machines. And I set it on automatic. And I, I believe that is... You may, you may <laughs> remember that. Okay. Um, but anyways, I, I use it, you know, I'm very happy with the bookmark synchronization. The calendar, now I use it uh, also in conjunction with iSync. So what I do is, so I have, um, you know, at the 9 to 5, I have, uh, we run Lotus Notes and I use something called EasySync, which syncs with my palm. But then I also sync that palm on my Mac. So I have two copies of, or actually three. So one is in notes, one is in iCal, one is on the palm itself, and I go between them all. Um, to me, that's useful. I always like having, especially for important stuff like, uh, you know, my calendar or my contact list, I always like having multiple copies of it. And having it online it is, is pretty good. Um, but I also use iSync. So, so to me, because I rely on iSync to, to talk to both my palm and my uh, my Crazer phone, where I sync a subset of my contacts, you know, to the cell phone list. Um, that's the way I use it. You know, the keychain thing is pretty much transparent. I don't use mail. I use Eudora. So, uh, so that's how I use it. And then I do also use some of the, uh, you know, this is where Apple kind of digs into this, is that I do use it to, uh, you know, they give you now more disk space, uh, 10 gigs now, I guess. Right. Um, but I also use it with, um, with now iWeb. Um, it was homepage, but you know, it's also a place, you know, and I make use of that also. Of course, there are many other services that do that sort of thing. But to me, I like the whole package. I don't really use the iDisk syncing part of it or use the public sharing folder part, though that's something that, you know, may drive some other people um, to use it. So that's uh, kind of a nutshell yeah. <laughs> how I use mine. But I'm very pleased with it. Now, I know you have issues, especially with, I guess, when it decides to do what it wants to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So I do something not dissimilar to you. I, I'm not syncing with a, a note server on the other end, but uh, I do sync with my, uh, I've got three machines. I've got the, my MacBook Pro, of course, in the office that I use all day. And then I've got the dual G4 that I'm on now up here in the studio. And then I have an iMac G5 uh, back at the house. And I do sync my bookmarks, my address books, my keychains, and uh, my mail signatures uh, across all, all three of those. And, and then from my MacBook Pro, I also, using Missing Sync from, uh, from MarkSpace, I sync my data uh, with my palm. But really, I don't think there's anything coming from sync services at this point. I'm, I mostly sync my, my calendar, um, which is now up to date and contact. So, uh, so yeah, so the, take, the, take the trio out of it. It's those three computers. And when it works, it's great. Uh, it really, really works well. My my problems and complaints with it are in the speed in which it takes. Oh, and I also sync Yojimbo. And, and this may be part of my issue here because Yojimbo is syncing large chunks of data. I have PDFs in there. You know, I've, I've got anytime you folks send an email that we're going to read on the show, I, I send that to, to Yojimbo so that it's synced. And I, if I do it on my MacBook Pro, bam, it's up here in the studio and I just expect it to work. And it, it does. It, it's very slow about the way that it syncs. And also, 
I've had problems multiple times with it getting confused. Now, I realize I'm syncing three computers here, but I'm not changing data in three places a lot. You know, I may change data on my computer during the day, and then maybe two or three nights later, I might make a change at the iMac at the house, and then very, very rarely do I even make a change here in the studio. So, you know, the fact that once every two months I have to tell one of my computers to wipe all of its data and, and take a new copy down from .Mac because it stopped syncing correctly or whatever is a real pain. And then, and then on top of that, the amount of processor time that it uses while it's syncing is, uh, is not uh, to my preference. So you've heard me rant about .Mac. I, I haven't had an issue Wait. lately. What? Go ahead, John. I said, yes, I have heard you. You right. have. They, we all have. Yeah. Uh, it just it could be better, but but uh, I have not tried uh, sync together yet. Uh, but uh, I've been considering trying that as, as an alternative. Dot Max Sync hasn't run me into that point yet, but uh, but I may get there. So uh, so there you go. That's that. So uh, moving on here, John. Do we have time to talk about this next one? The uh, George's comment. I think I think we might. You want you want to yeah. go there? Let's go there. We've told them about it. George writes. I have a question that's been bugging me for a while regarding RAM utilization by applications in OS X. I've got a G5 dual 2.5 gigahertz with three and a half gigs of RAM installed running 10.39 Panther right now. I'm still waiting on the Leopard release, and it seems that there's no way to force an application like iDVD or iPhoto to use more than a default amount of memory. In macOS Classic, you could set memory usage in the Get Info dialog of the application file. Am I just missing something, or is it an inherent limitation of these programs in OS X? I've done some limited searches for Unix commands to get around this issue without success. It seems that some of the iLife applications would work better and faster by reducing or eliminating page outs to disk if they used more than 5-10% to 10 of the available RAM when 80-90% to 90 of the RAM remains unused. We've had... Uh, similar conversations here before, John, and uh, and this does open a whole can of worms. Uh, you want to start this, or you want me to? You want me to to, to roll with it? Let's not open the the can too much. I mean, I would just then, and also I believe the uh, the writer said he sees page outs. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I guess to start off, that is a sign that your memory. Uh, how do they put it? I think it's oversubscribed when you start paging out too much. Yep. So, so that's a good thing that, that because my, my, when I first started reading this, I thought, well, why does he think that he's running out of memory? Right. You know, uh, but, but, you know, that, that is the first thing that you're going to see is uh, too many page outs. As far as how to, I mean, you and I have our thoughts. I mean, I think, you know, there, there are certain strategies to, to reduce the possibility of that happening. I think the biggest one in, in my book is don't have a boatload of applications all open and kind of sitting around, even though you can do it. Bingo. You know, the more the OS has to deal with, the the, the greater the possibility that, you know, an app is going to grab RAM, even though it's not doing anything. Um, and things will get more fragmented, and eventually the OS comes in saying, you know, there's a problem here. I better start doing these page outs. So um, yeah. uh, in my mind, you know, short of getting more RAM, which, sure, um, try to only run things that you are actively using and you, and you need. Um you may have some other thoughts that we don't. Again, this this could take a whole show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we it totally could. Um, well, the, you know, the first thing is, George. No, there's no way to tell an application how much RAM to grab. Um, it, it's grabbing it dynamically. Really, each application has access to uh, what a, a four gig 
well, in 32-bit, a 4-gig uh, partition of RAM, right? And then in 64, it goes up substantially. Uh, so it, the, the, app, the OS is going to give the application what it needs. Uh, as John pointed out, though, if you're seeing page outs, well, that means that the OS has run out of RAM and needs to, for lack of a, to, to oversimplify it, needs to make some room. So it takes some stuff that's in RAM, it saves it out to disk and shuffles things around and makes some more room for whatever it is that needs to be there. But that page out process is very costly time wise because it's taking something in RAM, which is very, very fast access and saving it out to disk, which comparatively very, very slow access. So remember if it saved it out to disk, then chances are you're going to need it again. It's got to read it back in from the disk. Uh, so I, John, your, your suggestions, both of them were right on one quit. All the other apps, uh, makes a huge difference. Number two, get more Ram. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the magic answer. If you ask me, I, uh, you know, I, I run two gigs of Ram on my MacBook pro, I'm constantly paging out. I do wind up having quite a few apps open classic apps or uh, I'm sorry, not, not classic apps, but uh, 68 K apps or power PC apps, anything running Rosetta. That's a much better term. Uh, yeah, I think, no, we did co- talk cost a lot of Ram. So, okay. I want to mention one thing that though, I don't think either of us have tried this and you know, I, I should, but remember there's something called I free mem. Yeah, which no, supposedly I, does some wacky it. stuff to uh, okay, and uh, the, from what I can see, I've never used it, but yeah, maybe you could comment. But I think it's something that helps you get more free memory. It it does what it what it does is the the OS will will uh, cache memory and and it it takes there's things that it needs uh, and that it calls active RAM right. There's things that it cannot live without and that's wired RAM. Right. That stuff can never be paged out. Then there's the things that it's currently using uh, could be paged out, but aren't because of whatever reason. And those are active. Uh, then you've got inactive RAM and free RAM. Uh, and again, this is a, a, an oversimplification, uh, but the inactive RAM, well, it's still taking up RAM. It's just stuff that the OS knows it could get rid of if it had to. Uh, and more often than not, if you've got a bunch of apps open, uh, you'll see that OS 10 is sitting there at, uh, you know, your free RAM is very, very low down, you know, less than 100 megs. Um, whereas the uh, the inactive RAM might be really, you know, really, really big. So what iFreeMem does is it takes it, it, it uh, takes all that inactive RAM and frees it up. So that you've actually, at the end of the process, you're left with uh, more free RAM. And that can make a big difference. Now, it can also slow some things down. Some applications, you know, might call on whatever was in an active RAM. And then that's got to be read back in off the disk. It does page things out and move things around a little bit. Uh, so, you you know, really, the, the magic answer is, is what you said, John. Get more RAM if you can. You know, I'm maxed out on my machine and it's not enough. Or... Uh, quit apps when you're not using them, especially big memory hungry things like anything in Rosetta that's going to use just more RAM out of the gate. Uh, Safari is another thing. Quit that, you know, a couple times a day. It it has a massive memory leak. It'll really start to eat up RAM uh, and drive you crazy. Certainly quit it if you if you uh, leave your computer overnight. Uh, quit it when you leave your desk so that 
by the time you get there in the morning, the machine's had free RAM all night and it's been able to do all its processes and, and that'll actually work. I found the same thing is true with iChat. It, uh, it bloats up at least the way I have mine and the way I use it and configured. So I, I wind up quitting that too, uh, at the end of the day. And that, that helps quite a bit. So yeah, quit as much as you can when you're not going to be using stuff. And I, I think that that's the, uh, that's the answer there. I'm with you, brother. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, move, let's move on to Roger here. Roger writes, My printer is hooked up to my 20-inch iMac running the latest version of Tiger. When I want to print something, either using a MacBook and a work laptop running Vista and Bonjour, I have to wake the iMac from its sleep in order to print. It kind of defeats the purpose of setting it up to share the printer if I have to run into the room where the printer is and wake up the iMac before printing. Is there a workaround for this? You want to take this one, John? Uh, I'll give you some thoughts. So first off, we didn't get the detail about what type of printer it is. I'm going to assume, but actually I just thought of something while hmm. we were talking. So I think our assumption here is that this is a USB printer and that the, the computer is connected to a high-speed connection via Ethernet. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the case. It could be an Ethernet printer and the machine is hooked up using airport. That's another potential. I, I think, I, think I, I would say we're 99% safe in assuming that it's a USB printer because if it was an Ethernet printer, he probably would have realized that he can just plug it into the network and then anything can print to it. Uh, but Unless he doesn't have a hub, in which case there's your answer. But anyway, so I would say, yeah, the thing is, I mean, when the machine's asleep, it's except for, and I'll, I'll hand this off to you because I think you found something regarding this, Dave. At least yeah. I think you did. But, you know, <laughs> there's this one uh, kind of obscure setting in the... Uh, is it sharing? I forget where, or energy saver. Yeah. And it says wake for Ethernet network administrator. And this will only work, not with wireless Ethernet, unfortunately, because I found this because I tried to do this and it didn't work. But with wired Ethernet, there is a certain signal that you can send down the wire to a computer saying, hey, I'm the administrator, dude, wake up. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, short of, you know, hitting the keyboard or the mouse or, or something, the machine is not going to wake up for, you know, because it can't hear you. So, uh, now, did you, did you say you, you found, or did you find this utility? There was a... Yeah, yeah. so there's, there's a couple of ways to, to do that. It, assuming the computer is on Ethernet, uh, and I do this all the time, because the computer up here in the studio goes to sleep, and, uh, and I'll need to get a file that's, you know, we, we share some of our, uh, our accounting data from this computer just because of the way the office works and Lisa's up here uh, sometimes when she's working. And, uh, and so I need to wake the computer up. Now, certainly I could get up from my desk and, and come up here and do it, and I'll do that if I'm on the phone or whatever. But uh, if I just need to wake it up quick, I actually open Apple Remote Desktop. And uh, when I uh, in Apple Remote Desktop, you can highlight a computer that it knows about and go to the Manage menu and choose Wake. And then from there, you wake up the computer. And it works flawlessly. Uh, there is, But this is a not an Apple-specific protocol. This is an Ethernet-specific protocol. Again, has to be wired. Uh, but it can it can send this pulse along, and as long as the Ethernet card on the other end uh, or the Ethernet adapter on the other end understands it, it will wake the computer up. Uh, there is a third-party utility. I believe it's a piece of freeware. Uh, we found it at, at uh, Version Tracker, our, our new CNET friends, um, called Wake on LAN, funnily enough. And uh, I've used this utility before, and it's the first time you use it, you've got to go jump through some hoops. You've got to type in the MAC address of the uh, of the Ethernet port that you're uh, going to wake up, and it, it's not as intuitive as uh, as we Mac users have become accustomed to. But it is free, 
So you can do it with with Apple Remote Desktop, or you can do it with uh, with Wake on LAN. One one option costs money and is as easy as pie. The other, you got to jump through some hoops. But the fir- once you do it the first time, it saves it in a list, and and you're uh, you're good to go. Huh. Okay. And then uh, I have another thought. Yeah. First off, in order to you know, I've been hearing you know some kind of you know disturbing things about the economy. So in order to you know stir the economy and get people to buy stuff. I want to suggest buying something. I'll let you do. <laughs> so, Good. Perfect. Uh, but there are, for example, our friends at Keyspan, and there are probably others, but those are the ones I'm most familiar with, make uh, either USB or specific USB print servers, which you can then plug into an Ethernet network, and uh, the printer is always available. Even though it's a USB printer, you know, it, it, does the, it has a USB port and an Ethernet port, so you make it a network printer. And then there are also wireless options, like either, like, you know, I still have a uh, older... HP um, wireless print server that's actually yep. one end is uh, parallel, the other, um, <clears throat> you know, is uh, it, it plugs into the parallel port and makes it wirelessly accessible by Apple Talk. Um, but then I think you also pointed out, Dave, I guess the, uh, well, actually, this has been happening for a while, but uh, the airports now, in addition yeah. to this service, are also print servers. So there's another option if you have, a, you know, either, you know, look on the back of your airport if that's what you're using, or, you know, heck, uh, you know, make Apple happy and, uh, buy a buy, uh, buy a new, uh, uh, you know, 802N, uh, airport. You know, it, I have a, it, it, Roger's question reminded me of something. The last time we talked about doing something like this, we're using a printer and, and sharing it and what the best way was. Um, you know, I had the same situation as Roger, very, very similar, actually had it, have an iMac in the, in the house and was hanging a printer off of it via USB and uh, the same thing would happen. Somebody in the house would want to print either from the Windows machine or the Mac, and they'd want to go, you know, we'd have to wake up the iMac in order for them to print. And we're sitting here doing the podcast, John, and we're talking about wireless print options. And, and this same conversation happened, you know, okay, well, you can do this. And then, of course, you know, the airport base stations have it. And I'm sitting here doing the show, and this light went off. Right next to the iMac is the airport base station that we use in the house to manage the wireless network. I mean, it's sitting right next to it. And of course, visible. It has visible. It's got the, the the USB port on the back of it. I'm thinking, I have been a dum dum for 18 months sitting here with this thing just like this, waking up this iMac and fighting with it to get it to print. As soon as we finished the podcast, I ran over to the house, unplugged the USB from the iMac, plugged it into the airport base station, and life has been grand ever since. So, just because Roger didn't mention that he had an airport base station doesn't mean that he, uh, he doesn't have one because it, he, he too might be in the same boat as dear old Dave. So now I think, do they, I think they may also make fairly low cost, I guess, USB to ethernet, uh, yes. just like dongles or kind of, you know, that yep. that's all they do. They're not a server like the, the key span products, which, you know, I think give you a bit more functionality and control, but it's just a, a Converter of sorts. And well, no, it, it has to be a server. If you're connecting USB to Ethernet, something's got to manage the print jobs coming in because you could have, you know, conflicting jobs coming in and beating against each other. So uh, even those those quote unquote cheap little USB uh, to Ethernet devices are print servers um, and you can get them for less than 100 bucks. Uh, but if you're thinking of upgrading your router, you're probably better off just getting something with the, the USB built in um, because you dollars for donuts you'll get more for less so okay no i was thinking of actually something even lower cost, which i've seen on some computers but it, all it does is give you an ethernet port off a usb port it doesn't do any server 
functionality, but that's more for just people that just want to network. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. The, going the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that wouldn't work for yeah, this printer. Right. It, so you it, still need something to do the print serving portion of the equation. Yeah, you can't, you can't take one of those USB to Ethernet adapters and plug it into a printer. That Those are only meant for computers to, to get them on a network. I use one for my TiVo, right? I plug it into the USB port on the TiVo, and then it connects the TiVo to the... Uh, to, the, to my network, uh, but the TiVo has drivers in it for that, and the printer wouldn't have drivers, and you wouldn't be able to okay. get to the printer to configure it anyway. So, yep, just thinking out loud because All I've right, seen those things. Are, uh, okay, uh, sponsor oh, number two is Audible at uh, audible.com slash MacGeekGab, and going there, you'll get one free download from Audible and a 14 day free trial of Audible Listener Gold. Any content that you get from Audible, you can listen to on your iPod, your iPhone, your Trio. You can burn it to a CD. You can listen to it on a Mac. You can listen to it on a PC. They've got 35,000 titles and probably even more now. All sorts of stuff. I like to download some, uh, as you know, I like to download some comedy stuff that I listen to uh, when I'm driving home late at night from gigs. Uh, they've also got some Mac-related books. Uh, we've talked about I Was, How I Invented the Personal Computer and Had Fun Along the Way. Uh, Stephen Levy's The Perfect Thing, How the iPod Shuffles Commerce, Culture, and Coolness. And the Icon Steve Jobs book, the second... <laughs> I always do this. I did it last time, and I'm doing it this one. Icon Steve Jobs book, the greatest second act in the history of business. But really, I was thinking about that. It's actually this third act, isn't it? But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let that go. Audible.com slash MacGeekGab gets you a free download. you got to visit that link to do it. You can click here in the show notes. You can click at the link that Michael has put in the enhanced feed, or you can type it into your browser on your, well, I guess you wouldn't do it on your iPhone because you're not going to be able to download on your iPhone. You've got to download on your Mac, and then you can sync it to your iPhone via iTunes. Audible.com slash MacGeekGab. And with that, we're going to go to Travis and see if we can't help him out. Hey, John and Dave. This is Travis from Ohio. Uh, I've got a quick question about a problem I'm having with uh, an external hard drive of mine. I use it for backups and uh, hooked it up the other day. And um, By accident, I had rested some, uh, some books on the desk, and it laid across the power cord and uh, disconnected it. Of course, I got the, uh, the error message saying you know, it wasn't properly... Um, you know, unmounted, and so I plugged it back in and restarted it, and I'm not getting anything to show up. It's not mounting on the desktop. Um, open up Disk Utility, it's not showing up uh, as a mounted drive there either. However, if I do um, open up Disk Warrior, I can I can see it there. Um, it does give me a message saying uh, the drive is not visible, um, but I ran. Um, you know, I have pre repaired permissions on the disk and uh, rebuilt the directory and just found a few small uh, issues with the directory, replaced that, and um, but it's still not giving me anything as far as uh, being able to mount it and uh, use it. So I don't know if I, you know, did some, some bad things to that drive when it disconnected or if there's a way I can uh, maybe salvage some data that's on there or just maybe a quick fix to, to get it to remount and uh, go on my way, but... Uh, anyway, just wonder if you could tell me with that. I know you guys mentioned uh, drive genius in the past. Uh, so, curious to see what your thoughts are. Appreciate your help, and uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, uh, that's that's not good. <laughs> I I got one thing. I, okay. I just a mini tangent here, but just one thing. So, I believe it was mentioned it was an external drive, right? Yeah. All right. Now there is something, you know, it's it's old to me and you, but just something to mention to permit. So this is kind of you know twenty twenty hindsight. Um, 
but there's something called file system journaling that uh, is something if you're going to you know, create an external drive, you want to make sure. I don't believe it's... It, well, I think it's usually on by default, but it's it a is. feature that uh, gives you better drive integrity and can guard, though not totally guard, um, against this sort of thing happening. But it sounds like, you know, the power was yanked at exactly the wrong time. It certainly does. I, I'm frankly a little surprised that if Disk Warrior was able to see the drive, that it wasn't able to rebuild the directory. But the fact that it wasn't... Um, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, Greg, uh, Greg Snyder at the, here at Backbeat Media saw a, a similar issue where he was losing files off of his drive. Things were going south and uh, and Disk Warrior wasn't able to rebuild it and, and nothing really was. Um, he did try Drive Genius for him. It didn't work. I, there's no reason not to try it, Travis. In fact, there's no reason not to try anything at this point. Remember, Disk Warrior... Uh, disk warrior does something different from every other disk utility. And that is, it doesn't go in and try to fix the directory. It just goes in and rebuilds it from what it sees. Um, so uh, the, the problem with that is once it's done that rarely do you have the ability to go in and fix anything because the old directory is gone. Uh, disk warrior does let you do a compare and contrast. Uh, and you can even sometimes pull files off during that compare and contrast. So that might not be a bad, uh, a bad place to check, but, uh, certainly drive genius won't hurt. If you've got a bad sector, drive genius can search for, uh, and, and find and, and remap that. And, and maybe that'll do it. Um, you know, my, the, the, the one thought that I came up with, of course, John, you know, as we were talking about this prepping for the show was, it's an external drive and the firewire interface does add uh, a layer of, of uh, obfuscation, if you will, where the, the machine isn't talking directly to the drive. It, it's talking via the, the firewire chipset and, and who knows what, what capabilities that chipset has. So if you have the ability to take the drive out of the firewire case and mount it inside a Mac, any Mac, uh, that may allow disk utility to, to do a whole lot more with it uh, and, and will also allow drive genius to do a whole lot more with it. So that, you know, it, at this point you're, you're, you're kind of grasping for straws there. There is of course the, uh, the drive savers and total recall route. That's not cheap, but is all but guaranteed to get your, your data off the drive. So that's uh, that, that those are my thoughts on, you know, I, I yeah, I found one, you know, safe okay. mode is one possible, yeah, you know, again, it's grasping for straws. Yep. Yep. But, it, you know, that, yeah. but the, but it always is grasping for straws, right? If you've got, you know, a, a disc that's gone south, it, all you're doing, is you're just looking to grab the right straw at the right time. That's, uh, you know, to, to extend the analogy, which after living in Austin, Texas for as long as mm -hmm. I did, uh, that's a, that, that extended analogy is an art form. So I, I have a, mm -hmm. have a soft spot in my heart for it. Uh, so I had a geek challenge uh, set up for, for the show that we were going to share with all of you, and we're going through the show notes. And uh, I and ruined John, it. John ruined it, but here we go. It's a good one. <laughs> hey, John and Dave. This is Paul calling from sunny Los Angeles, California. Uh, just wanted to say I really, really enjoy your podcast. It's one of my top three on my must-listen list. Um, I have a quick question regarding um, hacking the finder. Um, 
I really, really want to change uh, one of the characteristics about the Finder where when you duplicate a file, uh, as we all know in OS X, uh, it creates the file with the word copy, a space, and then the word copy uh, at the end of the duplicated file. Uh, what I'd like to do is change that so that I don't see space copy, uh, I see another character, one that I use uh, quite a bit in, in, in my workflow. Um, what I'm doing right now is creating duplicates and then using a drag and drop to uh, automatically change space copy into another character. Uh, I'd like to be able to do that or have the OS do that for me. Uh, do you guys know of any way of doing that? Um, all right, uh, so that was going to be the geek challenge, and then we were going to move on and, and tell you a little bit about this culture catch party and 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 go home. But but John, you ruined. it. I was going to say too that is so easy. What you do is you go to System Library Core Services Finder. You then right click on that and say Show Package Contents, and then you drill down a little bit more and go to Contents Resources English uh, local, and then there's a file called localizable.strings. And of course, what you want to do when you're in that file is look for a string that has a key of N4. What happens is, um, and then the, there's going to be a value associated with that key, and it's going to be caret zero space copy. The caret zero um, is actually a placeholder for whatever variable was passed in by the finder. So, uh, you know, to me, that's just pretty blazing obvious. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I've certainly I've, I've seen that many, many times, but it's just so common, John, that uh, that I just didn't think to mention it. That's all. No, I thought he wanted. I thought he wanted a, you know, a more robust solution. <laughs> no. So, anyways, um, so no, that that uh, you know, tip of the hat here to nice. our folks at Mac OS Ten hints, and uh, this was due to uh, my Google Foo is strong. Ah, yes. Well, I and basically I came across this. Now, the thing is in that file. So so a, a little, you know, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Be careful when you mess with this file, because this is stuff that's core to the OS as far as what the finder says and does in certain situations. If you mess it up, oh, you yeah. know, so maybe you want to make a backup of that file before you start messing I, around with it. That's not but actually move. looking through this file, I mean, there looks to be a couple of hundred uh, interesting little strings there. And, you know, any time... It, peeking through this may reveal some secrets, and that's all I'll say. Oh, we like that. We like secrets, John. We don't like when you tease us, though. Uh, but I am going to tease everyone now. I, I took a couple of minutes earlier this week to talk to Dusty Wright of Culture Catch, and they are uh, putting on this big party at Portable Media Expo. Mm, gosh, it's not end of next week, isn't it? It is, yeah. End of well, end of end of you know, two weeks away from tonight, right? And uh, he he told us all about it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna play this interview for you. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy. It's a couple minutes here, and then John and I'll be back to wrap things up for you because we've got actually an announcement about the next show. It's very important. It sounds good. Okay, good. It sounds good. Uh, so thanks for taking the time to uh, to come and tell me more about this party and tell all our listeners more about this party. Uh, it's September 28th at Portable Media Expo at the Convention Center, right, Dusty? Exactly, Dave. 
It's uh, 8 to 11. We've got a lot of fantastic eye candy for the guys because we know there are a lot of guys there. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Drea Weber's aerial ballet. Drea, we could probably classify her like a Cirque du Soleil performer. Oh, okay. And because because we have really high ceilings, she's going to do something pretty spectacular. She's done a lot of rock and roll tours and choreographed a lot of stuff, so that should be rather stunning. Uh, we've got the trio, the rock trio, rock funk trio, I should say, from San Francisco, Von Iva. Oh. We've got a new CD out. And rumors have that Scott Whalen's kind of looking at the uh, the ladies for maybe picking them up for his new label. Wow. They're, they're really, they're tremendously dynamic. Uh, we just did the record release party in New York at Gibson, and we were blown away by their uh, dynamics. Awesome. And we know people, yeah, people are going to love them. We've got some belly dancers, the superstar belly dancer troupe from Los Angeles. And he might incorporate some Brazilian dancing as well. We thought that would be a nice adjunct to this amazing world-class DJ that we've lined up, DJ David Starfire. Uh, our friends over at IOTA Promo that tipped us to him. He is fantastic. You know, he has some really great uh, world beat grooves that he mixes in with all the new current stuff to give it more of an organic uh, trip hop vibe. Oh, okay. Yeah, Very yeah, cool. yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So that should work really, really well with the belly dancers. Uh, we're even going to do some body painting. It'll be a little bit different than last year's body painting motif. All right. But uh, it should <laughs> yeah. be interesting nonetheless. That's all I'll say about it. Yeah. You can show up to find out what our spin is on it. Uh, there you go. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. it's not a party unless you're painting pieces of your yourself, I think. That's, yeah. That's oh, a, yeah. That's, that's a Indeed. mandatory thing. Indeed, indeed. And we'll also have fantastic, we're going to do a fantastic raffle with over $7,500 worth of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, the, our, our, you know, our sponsors have really gone out of the way. Gibson Guitar, Shore, Monster Cable, uh, Griffin Technology. Who am I missing? Uh, JBL. Wow. Uh, really should be some dynamic gifts. The raffle will be really well worth the effort. So, uh, so. so if somebody's going to PME, there's no reason not to go to this party. I mean, what the heck else are you going to do on Friday night? And basically, we've been there, Dave. We know the score. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We yeah. were trying to do something really creative. Then we realized it was a space limitation. Right. And we thought, well, that's not good because you, you want everyone to share it. I think that's the beauty of our business. The podcasters are a big, giant community. We've, grown, we, we've all grown up and grow, we continue to evolve and grow up together. There you go. And I think the beauty of our industry, again, is how much we share from day to day just business to business yep. you know the viral marketing aspects really allow us to flourish with each other and feed off of each other if you will so this so, is Friday night 7.30 it starts right 7.30 yeah okay uh, I said 8 didn't I did 7.30 7. and uh, oh. you know it, it really is I think if we really add it up it's, it's a celebration for podcasters well that that's that's what we need so everybody yeah. come Friday night 7.30 uh, it's at the convention center, and uh, it's going to be a blast. Thanks for. Oh, you know what? I forgot to say, you okay. guys are the official media stars. We are. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell them. I'll make sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do I forget you? That's <laughs> all right, man. All right, man. All right, David. Thanks. Thanks David, for coming weekend, and telling. Man. Thanks for coming and telling everybody about it, man. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you later this month. Yeah, definitely. It'll be fun. Thanks, man. We'll all catch up. <laughs> all right. All right. So that should be a blast. Uh, always oh, I, good to have something to do at, uh, at PME, I think. So Those dusty 
That was Dusty. Yeah. Yeah, he gets around, man. I've seen him at the uh, the uh, you know New York events and stuff. Yeah, he's a New York guy. That's right. Oh, that's right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple of these things here. We've got, uh, of course. Michael Johnston has converted this show into AAC for your listening and viewing pleasure, and he is uh, the executive publisher, I believe, of iPhonealley.com, a proud member of the Backbeat Media Network. Uh, of course, the podcast and new media expo is September 28th through 30th. That's two weeks from tonight it starts. John and I will be there, and or two weeks from the, the earlier today it starts, believe it or not. It goes all day Friday. So John and I will be there, uh, of course, the party Friday night, and... Uh, all sorts of stuff happening all weekend. John and I might even be podcasting from the Ambrosia booth there, but uh, we're gonna figure that out. Got to figure Ambrosia? out Ambrosia. Yeah, they're gonna they've got a booth there, so uh, we're gonna see how that goes. Oh, I love their stuff. But between now and then, we have one more podcast to do, and we're gonna try and do it on uh, on the normal schedule, which would be Monday the uh, Monday the twenty fourth, I believe, would be the the next show that we've got coming up, and. Uh, I know yeah, we just... I think it rings a bell. It, it, what kind of bell? What are you talking about, John? I don't know. I thought something important happened that oh, day. something very important happened that day. Uh, do you know what it is, John? <laughs> uh, I think one of us was born. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. And it wasn't me, no, so... Uh, that's right. So it is the... Uh, it's going to be the It's My Birthday, and I'll review what I want to show. Um, I know we just did a review <laughs> cast... Uh, I didn't mean to do that on my birthday. That's not fair. Uh, well, you can do it this te- next time around. If the podcast falls on your birthday, then then that's that's the rule. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but I, I I wound up getting uh, both a Nano and a new Classic this week, uh, and uh, and I want to tell you about them, especially the Nano. It's it, it's cool. So uh, I want to spend a little more time with it before it's, talking about it. But I, I it's wanna... like I I love how just the form factor is just so funny. I mean, it's Dude. like. Yeah. Compared to the others? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next time. And, uh, and of course, we'll still be answering your questions. The reviews will be, uh, it, won't, won't, it won't be an entire review cast. It'll just be a little bit about that. And then, uh, and then we'll move on. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you all with your questions, comments, concerns, queries, and uh, whatever else it is. Yep. And, and you got something to say, you know, iTunes is always good. Nice review. And uh, vote on... Uh, podcast alley alley yeah. and maybe leave a comment there we uh we love the comments that we've seen there i forget the one i saw i think it says uh mackie gab rocks my face off which i'm still i like that i thought that was fun <laughs> i don't know if that's good or i think that's good i guess yeah i hope that's good uh all right that's it cash fly hosting is the place where you downloaded this show from the podcast marketplace this month has the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, one free download from Audible, and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac. You want to sponsor the show, Backbeat Media Podcast Network, but we're getting pretty full. You know, we tricked them this time because we did it on a different day. You know what's not going to happen? They won't get caught. They know not to get caught because they know it's important. Made up.